0: All of us, all human beings, need a refuge or many refuges. And in our ordinary daily life, we find or we try to find refuge in a variety of activities. We try and find refuge through going to the movies, perhaps, or through having particular kinds of food. We try to find refuge through our relationships, through good friends and family. We have really endless ways of trying to find this kind of refuge. We're all quite skilled at this, trying to find refuge through ice cream or uh, whatever it is. And clearly, this path does allow for ice cream. Or I, for one, probably wouldn't be on it. <laughs> but we are trying to find a refuge that doesn't melt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that doesn't pass away, that, that uh, doesn't change. <laughs> I'm blushing, what a bad joke. <laughs> So, here on retreat, we don't have our usual ways of refuge. Uh, We're served particular kinds of food, and it's quite controlled. And We have the choice to eat it or not, but it's served at particular times during the day. There aren't movies. There isn't a TV. Uh, It's not our own phone. Um, We can't just go in the refrigerator and take something out, and we can't talk to one another. So... We, we don't even have that outlet or that, that kind of um, comfort. However, on retreat, certainly all of us find that we try to find refuge through fantasy or through planning or through um, great memories that we may have had or dreams about something or another. So still, we're still trying to find refuge because this is perhaps our nature as human beings is to try to find a place of comfort, a home. So this is what I'd like to talk about tonight, is refuge, reflections on what are called the three refuges. And the three refuges, as Larry mentioned last night, are refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, and refuge in the Sangha. And although it sounds very, very Buddhist and, you know, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is as Buddhist as one can get, at the same time, I think the language refers to something that is universal. The language refers us to something that is beyond um, any particular religion that perhaps belongs to the domain of the human being. So this is one particular model of looking and finding refuge, looking at refuge. The problem with our usual ways of finding refuge is that over and over again, we find ourselves disappointed. There's a certain promise hidden within that we can never quite get to. It's always there just a little bit out of reach. And yet, because we don't know anything else on a very deep level, we try, all of us, try over and over and over again to find a lasting refuge or lasting happiness out of that which is changing and does not offer that which we are attempting to find. The Buddha said, By wise effort and earnestness let the wise make for themselves an island which no flood can overwhelm. Let the wise make for themselves an island which no flood can overwhelm. And that's what we're doing in our practice is we are creating and expanding and deepening a real home, a real refuge for ourselves. Through this, allowing ourselves to be refuges for one another, refuges for others. The first refuge is refuge in the Buddha. And what this means, much more than any particular person, having lived 2,500 years ago. Although this can be a helpful place to allow the mind to rest because it is inspiring or can be inspiring to think about someone that so long ago got together so much effort and earnestness and all the different qualities that are necessary to free the heart, to free the mind, and actually woke up, actually woke up just as we're doing today or practicing today. And that these words were written down and that we are the recipients of them today. So just that can be quite inspiring to, to think about. So the refuge of inspiration. But the other way to look at this is that it's the taking refuge in a vision. It is the recognition of a particular vision that it is possible to aspire to. We can look at the various ways that we try to find happiness or we try to find comfort. And oftentimes, we can see that we're cheating ourselves, taking refuge in vision, taking refuge in the vision of total freedom really allows for a great openness and depth in our practice. It allows for a great openness and depth in our minds and in our hearts. It allows us to hold what it is that we're doing in a bit of a different way without falling short of what can be. Whatever we think the practice can be. I would like the practice to offer me peace or happiness, or whatever it might be. But it's always, because we don't know what it is, it's always limited. And so in a way, it is taking refuge in a vision that is not quite ours yet. And yet we can have glimmers. And yet we can certainly have glimmers. And these glimmers are very inspiring. So in a way, it is saying that we don't know that all the words we can use for freedom or enlightenment or lasting happiness are just that. They're just words. And yet, at the same time, holding a vision of something that we don't know about yet being possible. This is a true place of refuge. So when we think it's this or it's that, or its peace, or its enlightenment, or its freedom. Again, it's just our idea, right now, of what peace, or freedom, or happiness is. So we can take refuge in a bigger and deeper vision than we may have, than we may know about at this point. We can take refuge in limitlessness, in a freedom that we grow into as we practice. Taking refuge in the Dharma is the second aspect of home. And this is saying that we can take refuge in the truth. Many of us in our histories, in our past, have a sense of having not been told the truth. Certainly the culture, this culture does not tell us the truth. Perhaps in our personal histories, we have a sense of having been lied to. Over and over again, perhaps, And perhaps we know that we have lied to ourselves as well, that there has been, that there is some level of self-deception, of pretense. And so taking refuge in the truth, in the Dharma, is very, very powerful because it is saying that whatever one does not want, pretense anymore. Whatever one does not want, deception on any level anymore, within or believing that from without, from others. One can take refuge, one can find a home in the way things are. And this is not set out in an absolute way. It's finding for each one of us how things are. So it's knowing from moment to moment what is actually happening and knowing our experience. Very, very different than being told what our experience should be. Very different than being told what our experience has been or will be if I buy this, or if I do this, or if I can never die or stay young, or all the things in the culture that are being promised that we know are not true. So we can take refuge in that which is true right here and right now, the Dharma. It is true that the truth will never hurt us. It is true that pretense and deception and self-deception and compromise will hurt us. And at the same time, it's true that in opening, in truly taking refuge in that which is true, in that which we can know in our own experience right here and now, that there are consequences to this, that our lives may very well change in ways that we have not planned on. And yet, taking refuge in the truth is reminding ourselves, reflecting on the fact that the truth will never hurt us. It can only be of benefit, it can only take us where we truly, truly yearn to be, truly want to go. In a sense, taking refuge in the truth is a commitment to non-complacency, It is saying that whatever it is that is true, I do want to see. I do want to know. And no matter how hard or difficult it may be, it's many, many, many times better than living a life of compromise on any level at all, that which we may not even know about. So taking refuge in the Dharma is knowing from moment to moment, whatever our experience may be. Whatever our experience may be, without bias, without prejudice, without pushing away some of our experience and trying to hang on to other parts of our experience. It's really a commitment to openness, open-heartedness to all of our experience, whatever our life is from moment to moment which has nothing to do with describing how things are. It has nothing to do with assuming how things are. It's knowing, in this moment, exactly what is happening. In this practice, there is a very strong stress put on finding out for oneself and not believing in what anybody tells us, knowing for oneself what is so. And there's a very, very wonderful sutra, which I'll read a little bit to you. Once the Buddha was staying in the town of Kesaputa in North India, where the Kalama clan lived. The Kalamas visited the Buddha and asked him this question. There are some priests, venerable sir, who come to Kasaputta and claim that only their religion is right and condemn the teachings of others. Then some other priests come to Kasaputta and they in turn claim that their religion is right and others wrong. As a result, doubt has come to us. Which of these priests spoke the truth? The Buddha replied, It is proper to doubt in things that are doubtful. (laughs) Come, Kalamas, do not believe in anything through revelation. Do not believe in anything through tradition handed down from the past. Do not believe in anything through hearsay. Do not believe in anything because it accords with the scriptures. Do not believe in anything through logic. Do not believe in anything because it is a point of view. Do not believe in anything because one is convinced of some theory. Do not believe in anything through the testimony of some reliable person. Do not believe in anything thinking this person is a respected teacher. Kalamas, when you yourselves know what is blameworthy, abandon those things when you yourselves know those things that are not blameworthy, accept and practice them. And so this is a challenge to us. This is a great challenge that the Buddha is throwing out to us. What is being said is it's not enough to even believe the Buddha or what the Buddha has said. But the challenge is for each one of us right here and now to know our own experience, to be aware right here and now of whatever our experience is. In a way, you could say that taking refuge in the Buddha is taking refuge in uh, a vision, of the practice, uh, a sense of the practice. It's inspiring, there's a sense of inspiration in taking refuge in the Buddha. In taking refuge in the Dharma, you can say that it's the actual practice that we're taking refuge in, the actual practice of awareness, of being present with our own experience from moment to moment. So you could say that taking refuge in The dharma is an actual embodiment of the vision. That we can hold this vision, and it's very powerful to hold a deeper vision than we may think is possible. And at the same time, taking refuge in the dharma is actualizing this vision. It's not just having a a nice idea. It's actualizing and embodying the truth embodying the Buddha himself. It's really becoming a Buddha. And this is what our practice is, is becoming the Buddha within. The third is taking refuge in Sangha. And this is a sense of interconnectedness. It's taking refuge in the fact that all of us are connected with one another, and that in this connection, there is great intimacy possible. It's not only an interconnectedness with other human beings. It's an intimacy or a connectedness with whatever we're present with so we can be connected With the body, we can be connected with the floor right now. We can be connected, intimate, with a bird, with a plane in the sky. We can be connected with another person's eyes. We can be connected with whatever it is that is happening in the present moment. So it is an easing of separation taking refuge in sangha is taking refuge in an easing of separation an intimacy sometimes in the old texts the old chinese texts instead of at the end of the sutra saying and he or she was enlightened which is always the the uh, end of these stories <laughs> everybody seems to seems to get enlightened At the end, sometimes, what's said, and he or she was intimate. Same thing, enlightenment, intimacy. So it is taking refuge in the possibility of connection, of interconnection, of knowing that truly the separations are illusion. And that when we can be with what is from moment to moment, Interconnection is quite obvious. Also with Sangha, I think it's very helpful to remember that no one is making this up. No one up here is making this practice up. No no Buddhist teacher anywhere is making this practice up. And that for such a long time, for 2,500 years now, people have been practicing This very same path doesn't seem to be different. The mind seems to be the same from all appearances, from everything that was written that we have now. The mind seemed to be just as chaotic 2,500 years ago, just as wild. And um, we're in the same position. So it's very helpful to remember that we're part of a tradition, that it's not being created, it's not being made up but that all of us are walking on a path and are part of a tradition, part of a tradition, part of a path that moves us step-by-step, moment-by-moment into more and more freedom. Every time we're awake, every time we're aware, every time we're mindful, we chip away a little bit more at the edges of our conditioning at the edges of that which keeps the heart bound and contracted and stiff and frozen. We chip away at the torments of the heart, greed and hatred and delusion. With each moment of mindfulness, the mind, the heart, is being in a concrete way deconditioned. This is what happens through mindfulness awareness. Taking refuge in Sangha also is remembering that we can be a refuge for one another, that this is a very real possibility that comes out of our practice. Not just wanting to be, not just thinking it's a good idea, which I know we all do, but actually allowing our practice to express itself in very simple and in very profound ways, depending on what a situation is calling for, without formula, without recipe, allowing our practice to actually express and manifest itself through wise action. Once upon a time, there was a Zen master named Hakun, a beautiful Japanese woman whose parents owned a food store lived near him. Suddenly, without any warning, her parents discovered she was pregnant. This made her parents angry. She would not confess who the man was, but after much harassment, at last named Hakun. In great anger, the parents went to the master. Is that so, is all he would say. (laughs) After the child was born, it was brought to Hakun. By this time, he had lost his reputation, which did not trouble him, but he took very good care of the child. He obtained milk from his neighbors and everything else the child needed. A year later, the woman could stand it no longer. She told her parents the truth that the real father of the child was a young man who lived and worked in the fish market. The mother and father of the woman at once went to Hakuan to ask his forgiveness to apologize at length and to get the child back again. Hakuan was willing. In yielding the child, all he said was, is that so? (laughs) So this is an inspiring Manifestation of practice, perhaps a strong example, but one that is possible for all of us to practice. This very same example, I'm sure, will happen to none of us. But we will have our own our own challenges, our own times. And these times when they arise are really just happening from moment to moment. The practice is being expressed or not expressed from moment to moment. And so we can take refuge in the possibility of interconnection of the tradition out of which this practice comes. We can become refuges for one another. As we let go more and more of our habitual refuges that have not worked, as we let go more and more of our habitual refuges that are limited, that work in limited ways, but are not what the heart is truly yearning for. These three refuges come more and more into reality vision of practice, actualizing practice, embodying practice, and expressing practice. These three refuges become more and more a reality in our lives. The more we practice the Dharma, which is the main one that we can actually practice, vision comes naturally. The more we practice the Dharma, the more we commit ourselves to seeing the truth of experience from moment to moment, the more our practice has a natural expression, the more we do indeed quite naturally become refuges. Out of practicing the Dharma, everything comes. A true home is found, a true home that allows for a lasting happiness. Not the change of trying to run here, trying to run there for comfort, but a lasting happiness we see is more and more possible. In refraining from trying to find permanency in that which is permanent, in refraining from trying to find substance in that which is empty, in refraining from attempting to find lasting happiness in pleasure which comes and goes, these refuges become a reality for us. And we find that the gift of the refuge of the Buddha is inspiration, faith, steadiness, commitment, realization. We find that the gift of taking refuge in the Dharma is the gift of fearlessness, of courage, of being with our experience, whatever it may be. We find that the gift of taking refuge in the Sangha is intimacy. beings take refuge in a vision of practice. May all beings take refuge in the truth of their experience. May all beings take refuge in harmony, in intimacy, in peace. Let's sit just for a few minutes together.